It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www. Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria.com. I'll give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage. The Baddest Man on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of it right now while you're watching or listening to the show. Just go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Uh, find out why I'm so adamant about getting everybody to know all about Tom Molino. Uh, great uh, great fighter being uh, ripped off. He was ripped off during his life. He's still being ripped off today all because of the color of his skin. If you're looking to get a signed copy, visit our website, billycboxing.com, uh, and uh, click on the book. You can't miss it. Uh, or... You can uh, just come on up to me uh, at a live event. If you see me, uh, chances are I got some book with me. But uh, anyway, um, you got uh, got a bunch of stuff that we're going to be talking about today. First and foremost, uh, DaxCon will be joining us uh, a little bit later. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's several topics today. Uh, first and foremost, we got the uh, fight results from the weekend. Uh, that we'll talk about. I got a bunch of emails. I got the NFL scores to go over. Um, but a uh, couple of the couple of the news uh, items that top my list are uh, a couple. Uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, Danny Jacobs uh, signs a deal with Matchroom, and they are uh, going to be featuring him November fourth on HBO. Uh, as he returns to the ring following his uh, loss to uh, Triple G. I got some opinions on that. But the one that really has my goat today, uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong, we had some great fights this weekend, which we'll be talking about just to add to a, a fantastic year. Uh, 2017 has been uh, for us for professional boxing. But, but though, Jack, um, we were talking last week with the light heavyweight division uh, in light of the uh, uh, retirement uh, of uh, Andre Ward. And we were talking about, you know, who's the top in the light heavyweight division. And, you know, uh, the two names that rose to the top were um, Dimitri Bivol and Bedell Jack. 
And we joked about Adonis Stevenson being the odd man left out. This was a guy that clearly ducked everybody, uh, Kovalev and, and Ward uh, in, in the same. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, lo and behold, it's announced this weekend that Bado Jack vacated his WBA World Light Heavyweight title, in which, by the way, he won one month ago. Uh, actually, less than a month ago, um, uh, you know, on August 28th when he beat Nathan cleverly, uh, he gave up the belt because he did not want to fight the mandatory who is Dimitri Bivol. And, uh, you know, I, I find this irritating because, in my opinion, Bado Jack is a quality fighter. This was a guy that, that picked his ass up off the canvas after getting knocked out cold and has done nothing less than get better and better and better. And in my opinion, he's a top three light heavyweight right now. Why, you know, abandon the belt uh, where he could, uh, you know, get some distance uh, between him and the rest of the light heavyweight division? Uh, I mean, I, I know that he's probably already got a deal in place, most likely looking to fight the aged, uh, over-the-hill uh, Adonis Stevenson. And this was a, 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 a an advised move by none other than the cherry picker, ducking man himself, Floyd Mayweather. I find this irritating because Bado Jack is a quality fighter. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. Yeah, you could say that the Bivol Bado Jack fight could uh, take place down the road, but why do we have to wait? Why does he have to take an easier route to a title? He's already got a belt. Bivol would be coming in as the challenger. Joining me right now from St. Simons Island is my man, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, I mean, this is like two steps forward, three steps back. Why would a guy do this other than not wanting the toughest fight available to him? Well, that's it. Let's elongate and milk out a uh, another win and uh, see what we could do to... You know, regroup and uh, make it even bigger than what it could be today. I mean, that might be the strategy. It just uh, it doesn't make sense how you give up one bill to go for another one. And here you go, uh, you know, around the ring around the rosy. Yeah, I I um I find it uh, uh, I, I find it uh, appalling, really, because you know, I, listen. I don't want to talk about Floyd Mayweather, but the thing about Floyd but, Mayweather is he's but. he's always in great shape. He was always in great shape and everything else. But the knock on Floyd, aside from his uh, less than exciting fights because of his style, was that he he kind of cherry picked during uh, when he was on the rise. If, if for example, you know, instead of fighting Antonio Margarito. Uh, for $10 million, he chose uh, to fight Carlos Baldomir, which was a much easier fight. So on the, in, the, in the history books, it shows that he won a world title. It doesn't show who he avoided to get that belt. And it, it seems like he's advising uh, Bedo Jack to do the same. And even, and we've talked about this many, many times, Sal, even if a guy like Bedo Jack comes up short, that doesn't, I don't think he, he would lose value. Uh, and then it also makes me start to wonder if the fighters, you know, on one on one hand, we're supposed to accept the plethora of world title belts. Every fighter has a belt. But now, what are we supposed to think when a fighter says, you know what, yeah, I fought for this belt, now I'm going to kick it to the curb because I don't want to fight the mandatory, I want to go another direction. 
Doesn't that devalue the belt? I mean, what do you think? Well, I think it does. I mean, you just made a great point. You know, you work so hard for the belt, and then all of a sudden you're going to uh, diss it because uh, it doesn't fit in your agenda for long term, whether it's your plans or your your, your training camp's plans to uh, offset and, and bypass one belt for another or just an opportunity to avoid fighting this guy for that. And, you know, it doesn't make sense. And like we said, Bill – um, you know, there's great. There are great fighters out there today, and we're, we're we've been fortunate this month, uh, this year, because we've been seeing some great, great championship bouts and great fights together with uh, just uh, elimination and just matches. It, it's it's been a great year. But when you see fighters doing things that really aren't characteristic of of the fighters that would say, hey, let me challenge myself. Let me rise to the occasion. Let me fight the best. Let me do something. When it doesn't seem like they're following that path of, of the, the the ancestors or the history of boxers, that's what they do. They fight. They want to fight the best. And, uh, you know, they try to do this little side dance and things here. It does put a little tarnish on what the main objective is of their career. Well, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, here they are. They they want to pound their chest and say they're a world title holder, but then they kick the belt to the curb to fight for another belt to take an easier fight or which appears to be an easier fight. At the end of the day, you know, why not collect all the belts? I mean, right. here's a guy in Bedo Jack that, in my opinion, very well could be the best light heavyweight out there. Um, one of the guys standing in his way was the mandatory for WBA, Dimitri Bivol. And, you know, the argument could be somebody could say, well, hey, Billy C., you know, uh, that, that's a fight that will happen down the road. There's no sense in having it happen now. And I, I, I strongly disagree. You know, uh, I don't think fighters should, should cherry pick their, their way to, 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 you know, titles or money or whatever. I, I think that when they choose, and, and this was something that we're always talking about, when they choose a sanctioning body to work with, and that's what they're doing. They're choosing it. They're ranked in their sanctioning body. They get ranked. Uh, they become a mandatory. They fight for eliminations, like you suggest. You know, and, and they're, they've chosen that sanctioning body because once they do that, the other sanctioning bodies avoid them like the plague. So here, Jack decides to make a run at the WBA belt, gets a title shot against Cleverly, dominates the fight, wins the belt, and now doesn't like the mandatory that he has to fight in uh, Bivol? Uh, you know, it, it doesn't look good for, for Bedo Jack, at least in my opinion, Sal. No, it does not, because you just, hey, guess what? You just spelled it out black and white, because he doesn't want to fight Bivol. You know, and uh, basically, because otherwise he'd be grasping at that opportunity. Say, hey, let's, uh, let's uh, get things going, and let me prove to everybody I'm the best one, and I deserve this belt, or that belt. You know, it's, it's like we we're saying about Triple G and Canelo Alvarez, you know. Uh, if they have that rematch on Cinco de Mayo, that's fine. But in the meantime, you know, I would love to see Triple G get that last remaining belt from Billy Joe Saunders and, uh, you know, have him unify. That's it. Uh, another uh, main uh, news topic I wanted to get to before we get to the uh, fight results from the weekend. And, and, man, we were treated to some great fights this weekend. Um, Matchroom. Uh, has inked a deal with Daniel Jacobs. They talked about it on the HBO broadcast over the weekend. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, he has signed a multi-fight deal uh, with HBO, uh, and uh, he'll be kicking it off November 4th. 
uh, against a, an opponent to, to, to be determined. Now, we knew that he was coming back on the 4th, um, but I was under the impression he was fighting on the undercard of Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz. We as saw. far as I remember, that fight is also on November 4th. I don't have my schedule in front of me. And I think that this is a huge mistake from, from you know, from at least a, a television ratings uh, perspective. Why he would go up against and be as it may on HBO in a in a comeback fight, which let's be real, Sal, uh, most likely it's going to be against a, an opponent that they know he's going to do well against when he's going to be competing against a fight that we're all dying to see. I, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make business sense to me. Although, uh, you know, I like the fact that uh, Danny Jacobs has signed with Matchroom because. This kind of goes with some things that Dax has been saying for a while about the European promoters seemingly taking over uh, the sport, which I say more power to them. The uh, U.S. promoters just are afraid to pull the trigger. Uh, but uh, what's your thoughts on, on him possibly going up against uh, Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz the same night on different networks? Well, again, you know, we've got to look at it. We had the same conflict we thought with the Floyd Mayweather farce uh, when he fought that Irish guy. Oh, Conor McGregor, I remember. And remember, we we, we thought there was going to be a, a card uh, that was going to be shown earlier uh, that was also going to be taking place the same night. Well, as it turned out, because of the hour hours difference in the UK. You know, it did work out where both uh, shows were giving the proper attention and they didn't. Con there was no conflict between the two shows. This might be the case because that's a great showcase. I mean, we want to see uh, this, this, these both, both these fights. I mean, they're, they're going to be very significant. And I think uh, with the timing on the same evening, uh, it's, a, it's a shame they couldn't consolidate and make it a super powerhouse uh uh, uh, I guess uh, just a showcase. But if they're going to be the same time, they're going to conflict with each other. It's no good. And Danny Jacobs, like we, like we were saying, man, he didn't do anything but but help his career when he fought Triple G. I mean, he looked good, and we knew if he had that defeat on his record, it wasn't going to hurt him. And this is his time to shine. This is his place to showcase. And this is this is going to be him with a whole resurgence. And Danny Jacobs is a great fighter, and that we saw when he fought Triple G. So I think he's on his way. But it's a shame that you know we may have to decide which fight we want to see. Um, I think you got the fights confused a little bit. The night yes. of uh, Mayweather McGregor was HBO went up against him with uh, with K Kodo Kamagagi. And yes, there's yes. no way that, and despite uh, Miguel Cotto's drawing power, there's no way that they were going to beat Floyd Mayweather against McGregor, as we, uh, although we haven't gotten any official numbers, which I find strange still um, on the pay-per-view buys. But uh, uh, this is a, a, a big difference. It's uh, no yes, pay-per-view involved. Uh, and you got basically Showtime going up against uh, uh, HBO. And as much as, Daniel Jacobs, and I agree with you 100%, Daniel Jacobs, has his value has went up uh, even in defeat uh, with Triple G. I, 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 there's no way that he's going to be. I don't, I don't care if he was. Uh, he would have to be fighting Triple G again in order to compete against Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz, and even that I don't think would help. Everybody wants to see heavyweights. 
And uh, Deontay Wilder, at least in my opinion, will be in his first real, real, real tough fight. And I can't wait to see it. So uh, we'll have to wait to see what happens. Uh, one other thing I want to mention uh, before we get to uh, some fight results is there was a uh, fight card uh, scheduled for uh, uh, this Thursday, the 28th, uh, from Real Deal Sports, uh, which was uh, going to take place in Louisville. Now, Real Deal is Evander Holyfield's uh, uh, promotional company, but put an asterisk next to that. They announced the chief operating officer, Eric Bentley, uh, who doesn't know a, a fish hook, a left hook from a fish hook. This was a guy that his. let's be real, the real guy running Real Deal Sports is not Evander Holyfield. Uh, it's Salman Mushimichi, who's uh, related to Eric Bentley. This is all one of those deals where they used uh, Evander Holyfield's name, and now they're canceling the, the fight card, and everybody's looking at uh, Evander Holyfield. And I'll tell you why they're canceling this fight card, and I don't know this. Let me rephrase that. I am giving you my opinion of why they're canceling this fight card. Uh, Eric Bentley the guy that really doesn't know anything about the sport of boxing, uh, says, uh, and I quote, on behalf of Real Deal Sports and Entertainment, we extend our sincerest apologies to the fighters uh, who uh, uh, were scheduled to fight and compete and also the fans uh, who had purchased tickets because due to some overwhelming and unresolved logistical issues, we have to regretfully cancel our event. Um, I think what he's trying to say, Sal, is they didn't sell any tickets yet. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, somebody didn't come through with a check because that's uh, uh, the M.O. Uh, of Salman Amishi all the time. Uh, so, I, I mean, you listen, and I'm not going to blame them uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for not going through with a show that they're going to lose their, their collective arses with. But, you know, here's where a guy like Evander Holyfield, he's the front runner. He's the name on this, and he's the one that's going to get the – the blurb that oh god he had to pull out of a fight you know i i don't know man uh i think these guys should think twice about lending their names if he wanted to do it all on his own different story but lend your name and then let somebody else drive the bus i don't know about that sal i don't know it's hard to think to do i i, I wouldn't do it and you know with the old duck syndrome if it walks like a duck quacks like a duck you better slip that punch and duck well yeah yeah no you better yeah, uh, I guess you're waking up. About it. I guess the coffee's kicking in. But uh, some fights this weekend uh, on uh, on HBO in an extremely uh, entertaining fight. I, actually, all the fights this week, uh, at least the ones I saw, were all ex uh, extremely entertaining. Uh, WBA lightweight champ uh, Jorge Linares improved to 43-3 and with 27 knockouts when he scored a 12-round split decision over Luke Campbell. Uh, in uh, at the Felt Forum in uh, California, uh, uh, Campbell hit the deck in the second round, which I think carried uh, Linares to 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 get the W. Uh, one judge scored at one fifteen one thirteen for Campbell. Uh, one uh, had it uh, one fourteen one thirteen, and the other had it one fifteen one twelve. Both for Linares to give him the split decision win. Um, tough fight to score. Linares came out. In the beginning, looking like uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. I mean, the, the guy uh, just was fast and accurate and uh, had some pop. And then kind of ran out of gas or, or I don't know what, the, what happened to him. But I thought Luke Campbell took control. And to be honest with you, I too scored the fight 115-113 for Campbell. Uh, but wow. either way, it was uh, a, an extremely close fight. Uh, 
It uh, Campbell uh, drops uh, the second fight in his career. He's now seventeen and two. And during the fight, it was funny. They were, they were kept showing Luke Campbell's wife, and uh, you know they were saying, "Oh, how she didn't want Luke Campbell to turn pro and all of this stuff." Well, it certainly didn't look that way. Uh, every time the camera was on her, she was uh, viciously cheering for her hubby, and uh, it was uh, it was good to see. And and I tell you, these British fighters, Sal really attract the fan their fans travel that's something that i don't know they if do. american fighters can honestly say i mean they had a lot of uh of of european specifically english fight uh, fight fans in the arena uh, on saturday night to cheer on luke campbell that's great and I, and there wasn't any one-sided judging on the card like a 118 to 110 were there no there was nothing no. like that nothing like what a that. difference a week makes yeah yeah well you know <laughs> Um, also, uh, on Saturday night in the World Boxing Super Series, uh, in, in a fight that we all thought was going to be a knockout dragout fight, well, the knockout part was right because uh, the WBA Cruiserweight champ, Unier Dortikos, improved to 22-0 and with 21 knockouts when he scored a second-round knockout. I'm talking knockout, possibly knockout of the year of uh, Dmitry uh, Kutuzov, who drops uh, the second fight in his career. He's now 21-2. and two. Uh, This fight took place in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, no US TV, uh, but you were able to see it on the stream. What a fight. If you missed it, um, uh, go back and watch it because uh, what a knockout this was. Two minutes and 10 seconds was the official time of the stoppage. Uh, now Dortikos uh, will fight the winner of the uh, Murat Gassiov and Christoph Lodzarek matchup. And don't forget, we got another matchup coming this weekend, uh, which is one that uh, I can't wait to see. Mike Perez uh, going up against uh, uh, Marius Breedis, uh, which is another one. And I think that I think that would be, uh, in addition to the Vladzarek uh, Gassia fight, that will be the last uh, cruiserweight one. So uh, we will uh, keep our eyes open for that. Also on that card, Keith Tappy improved to 18-1. and one with uh, 11 knockouts when he won a 10-round unanimous decision over former world title challenger Latif Coyote, who just never lived up to all the hype. He drops to 21-2 and two with 21 knockouts. Um, this was a... Uh, um, uh, this this fight was on the undercard of the uh, uh, Dortico's fight. 100-89 uh, to 89 twice and 99-90 uh, with the way the judges scored that one. And Nonito Donaire made his comeback... He improved to 38 and four when he scored a 10-round uh, unanimous decision over Ruben Garcia Hernandez, uh, 100 to 90, 97, 93, 99, 91. Uh, Donaire is 34 years old already, Sal, and uh, looking wow. to make another uh, title run. But uh, Latif Coyote never lived up to the hype, man. Never lived it up. Well, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a shame too, because you know he had people uh, supporting him and looking for him to just bust out, but uh, never happened. I think the biggest mistake he ever made was trying to make a run at the heavyweight division and uh, just fell short with that, went back to the cruiserweight division. And, you know, he was under the uh, guidance of uh, uh, Freddie Roach. And, and uh, you know, here's an example. You know, some trainers evolve into um, being uh, a hired gun, a guy that takes a fighter that's already established and you know builds on some some traits they see or some talents or whatever and in this case i think it showed that latif coyote gained nothing 
by uh, working with Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach, offensive-minded, but Latif Coyote needed to be taught the basics, needed to be taught how to defend himself, how to set him, how to set his opponents up. He never, never got that. You know, he, he relied on punching power alone, and uh, would have liked to have seen him go a different route. Um, over in the heavyweight division, the WBO heavyweight champion Joseph Parker uh, improved to 24-0 with 18 knockouts when he retained his title uh, against Huey Fury, who had been previously unbeaten and ranked number one by the WBO. We broke that fight down on Friday. I, I think we see. called that fight. Well, we for, called uh, Joseph Parker, Parker. But, uh, but he won the fight in a close uh, decision, 118-110 twice, and uh, one judge had it even, 114-114. Uh, if you watch the fight, it was a boring fight. You know, Joseph Parker showed, and, and he's calling out AJ, uh, Anthony Joshua, after this fight, <laughs> which he doesn't stand a chance. You know, this is my hang-up when fighters get to be champions too quickly. Joseph Parker, no, no uh, offense against him. Uh, but the guy hasn't developed correctly. And Huey Fury definitely didn't develop correctly either. Never fought anybody, even as tough as uh, Joseph Parker has fought. But uh, his team is protesting the fight. And his promoter, Mick Hennessy, said, and I quote, this is corruption at its highest level. I thought it was an absolute master class shades of Muhammad Ali performance by wow. Huey Fury. Parker wasn't even in this fight. One of the worst decisions I've ever seen. Beautiful boxing by Huey, and I can't see why the judges robbed this poor young lad. It's disgusting. I'm going to lodge an appeal to the WBO straight away. Listen, I watched the fight. When Muhammad Ali did what he refers to as backpedaling, or, or when we refer to backpedaling, here's the difference. Muhammad Ali backpedaled while... He was throwing and connecting with punches. And not only was he throwing and connecting punches, he was landing solid punches all at the same time. Fury did not do that. Fury did move. He hit and he moved backwards, similar to Floyd Mayweather. But the ability to hit effectively on the move is what guys like Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, etc., 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 all were able to do. And by the way, if Canelo Alvarez, I said this all along, if Canelo Alvarez would have been able to do that, he would have beat Triple G. So, you know, just by hitting a guy and backpedaling out of harm's way does not mean you win the fight. The different, please don't ever compare Muhammad Ali uh, to Huey Fury, that's that's a that's a disgrace. And the truth of the matter is, is that you got to be able to hit on the move effectively, effectively, Sal. I mean, give me a break. Comparing him to Ali and saying that his performance was similar to Ali, come on, you can't hit somebody with a jab and run to the other corner of the ring. Yes, Floyd Mayweather did it, but you know what? Floyd Mayweather also was a counterpuncher. He did counterpunch at times, and Huey Fury Fury did not. I'm sorry, but if you're going to hit on the move, it's got to be effective punches. Absolutely. Plus, Huey Fury's 100 pounds heavier. Just yeah, thought well, well, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you reminded me of that. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, we got some fights that took place on Friday night, and uh, we will uh, uh, catch you all caught up on that. I got a bunch of emails to read. All of that's coming up in about two. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. 
That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, my man, Coach, he's always on the ball. He's up in the chat room. If you're watching or listening uh, from a stream, uh, you got uh, uh, you can you know come on over to the chat room that we monitor and, and comment up. But my man, Coach, uh, is always on the ball. He just uh, said that he heard that the Daniel Jacobs return to the ring will be the following week, November 11th, which makes a lot more sense. So. Uh, up until uh, just now, they were talking about him returning uh, on the 4th. So uh, I'm glad that uh, Coach has filled us in on that. And speaking of fights, Friday night on ESPN, we had uh, a couple of really good title fights. Uh, WBO featherweight uh, champ Oscar Valdez defended his title. And let me tell you something. What an exciting, hard-fought fight against Genesis Cervania who loses for the first time in his career. Valdez improves to 23-0 with 19 knockouts. Cervania uh, drops to 29-1 uh, with 12 knock- knockouts. And speaking of dropping, they both hit the canvas. Valdez uh, took a shot uh, in uh, uh, round four. And, uh, you know, he ended up uh, dropping Cervania uh, in round five. And they both went back and forth. And what a great fight. Uh, I loved every minute of it. I saw Valdez, uh, some holes in his game. You know, they need to teach him a little bit more head movement and defense. Uh, he has been overpowering opponents. Uh, this was not the case uh, with uh, uh, with uh, Cervania on Friday night. And, you know, when we were breaking down this fight, I, I, you know, this guy was ranked, you know, double digits. Uh, and you say to yourself, you know, how, how are they picking him? But, man, did he fight well. 116-110, with uh, the way the uh, judges uh, scored that one. Um, you know, I- I'm not so sure that the fight was that far apart. I mean, Sally, I know you didn't get a chance to watch it, but um, I-, I don't know, man. I-, I thought it was a little closer. I- it seemed like the harder punches that were being landed uh, were actually being landed by uh, Cervania. And the thing I really enjoyed about Cervania was that he had gotten the timing down with Valdez, who was lunging and throwing wide punches, trying to put, you know, knockout on every single punch. And right. as the fight wore on, Cervania was picking his shots and was counterpunching while he was delivering, while uh, Valdez was trying to deliver his punches from, from wide angles. I mean, a corner, uh, well, I guess they're going to have to go back to the drawing board, but, you know, can you break that habit of being, you know, going for the knockout with wide punches? I mean, is it is it a hard habit to break or what? No, you got to have schooling and drilling. I mean, you know, you take those wide punches, sure, you're going to throw a haymaker, but, you know, you're going to see the guy with his hands up, boom, throwing straight punches, slipping and moving. And, you know, you got to modify it. You got to come in a little bit. You got to throw the straighter punches. And you've, you've got to, you know, let's open up. Uh, you know, you open up, you're going to get hit. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. But you can lessen that margin of, of, of just being broad and open. You, you can, but it takes time, it takes discipline. And, you know, it, it could be one fight, one trainer, 
to drill it and to uh, help him use his body to leverage, you know, and everything else, but to, to, to make up for the roundhouse, if it, if you will. But, uh, you know, it's just sitting down on the punches and delivering them execution-wise, uh, you know, with, with uh, you know, authority. Uh, in the uh, other f- title fight that was uh, well, I tell you the truth, I, I want to see more of both of these guys. Uh, that's well, for it's sure. Exciting, and they're both undefeated, and you know it was uh, something that uh, definitely both fighters are, are are leveraged for a pretty good career. Something you should watch. You should go back and watch the fight. I'm going to watch that fight. Yeah, yeah it, and and this one too because the co-main event uh, that was on this uh, ESPN card Friday night. Featured uh, unbeaten super middleweight champ, WBO super middleweight champ, Gilberto Ramirez. Uh, he improved to 36-0 with 24 knockouts. Uh, and he fought a Jesse Hart that I give a lot of credit to. I did not think that Jesse Hart was going to last this long. Uh, and Jesse Hart showed plenty of heart. Of he heart. was dropped in this fight, um, you know, in a couple of twice, uh, to be honest with you. Um, in the uh, second round, and uh, somehow uh, uh, he, uh, he 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 came back, and I-, I thought he was giving Ramirez all he could handle. And as a matter of fact, he stunned Ramirez a couple of times. At the end, it seemed like uh, Jesse Hart had more uh, energy towards the end of that fight. Um, you know, I, Ramirez improved to 36 and 0 with 24 knockouts. Jesse Hart loses for the first time in his career, 22 and 1 with 18 knockouts. 115, 112 twice. 114, 113, uh, all in favor of uh, Ramirez. But you know, when a fighter performs as well as Jesse Hart did, these are the types of fights that you can't have their value go down. And in my opinion. Uh, Jesse Hart's value went up. And this is all. Now, I broke these fights down on Friday. This is all coming without ever fighting anybody too tough. I mean, I I give Jesse Hart a lot of credit. And uh, I think, unfortunately for him, the fight and his performance is going to catapult him to tougher fights. So Jesse Hart better get back on his, his A game. And uh, not that he didn't give it or show it on Friday night. Two great fights. Also on this card that we didn't get to see, uh, Michael Conlon, the uh, 200, 2012 and 2016 Olympian, improved to 4-0 with four knockouts when he knocked out Kenny Guzman, who loses for the first time in his career. Two, mi- two minutes and 59 seconds of the second round. Guzman drops to 3-1. and one. And also, uh, 2016 Olympic uh, gold medalist uh, Robinson Conseco improved to 5-4 and four with four knockouts uh, when he uh, uh, st- uh, stopped Carlos Osorio uh, when he injured his uh, shoulder. After the third round, one other fight I want to mention, Joey Dowedjko, a, a guy that I, I really think should be in a cruiserweight division, uh, knocked out uh, Demetrius Banks uh, in uh, uh, in a couple of rounds on Friday, one minute and 22 seconds of the third round. Uh, Joey improves to 18-4-4. and four. Uh, Demetrius Banks drops to 9-2. and two. The official time was one minute and 22 seconds of the third round. My opinion on this fight is Joey Dwedgko, he looked fat. I mean, he looked fat. He was never he was never a guy that, that was chiseled or anything like that. And like I said on Friday, I, I just feel he should be in the cruiserweight division, but he looked fat. And uh, I, you know what I think is going to happen here, Sal? I think that? that they're building him up. They, you know, He signed with a new promoter. They got him a win against a 9-1 guy that looks good. Um, I, I really think that they're going to feed him to a fighter 
um, uh, you know, because he's got an impressive record, that's going to hurt him. I, I think he, they're going to put him in with a guy that's going to be too big and too strong. Um, I, I just, I'm nervous about that for Joey Duedgeco. And the only reason why I, I feel that way is because I've met him and his father, and they're really nice guys. Um, and I just, I think he's in the wrong division. I, I would love to see him lose, you know, 30, 40 pounds, which he could very easily. I mean, he, he's, he's overweight and, uh, and fighting the cruiserweight division. A good fight I would like to see him fight is Danny Batchelder, uh, another, uh, fighter that started out at middleweight and fighting at heavyweight now, but, um, I don't know, man. I think they're going to feed him to another fighter. What do you think? Probably will. And, you know, that's what happens. You know, you keep uh, uh, some someone under wraps like that and you, you feed him, uh, you know, uh, easy opponents. And, you know, hopefully when he steps in the ring for a real deal one day, he could rise to the occasion and he could pull everything out of the bag, you know. And, uh, you know, some fighters can do that. Some fighters can't. It's just going to be a matter of time and what we see from this guy and how he's developing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think they're just creating a I, – I just think they're creating an opponent. But uh, anyway, hey, NFL scores. How about that? NFL. Uh, we got uh, the Jaguars beat the Ravens early. They were over in London 44-7. to What a shock. That was. I got Jeez, beat up on, uh, on my uh, football picks this week. But uh, uh, Jaguars beat the Ravens 44-7. to the Bills beat the Broncos 26-16. to It was another upset, in my opinion. In overtime, another upset. The Bears beat the Steelers 23-17 to in overtime. Wow. And, and, you know, I was talking to a, a longtime Steelers fan, uh, uh, and uh, she's, I go, ah, you know, who are you playing this week? She says, oh, the Bears. And I said, oh, the Steelers should be okay. She says, you know what? For some reason... The Bears always play the Steelers really well. I'm nervous about the game. She was right. They lost the game, uh, 23 wow. to 17. The Falcons hung on uh, to beat the Lions, 30 to 26, in a very exciting game. The Colts wow. beat the Browns, 31 to 28. The Browns were down 31 to seven, I think, at, or 28 to seven at one point in this game, and uh, fought back. They're they're a little better than their record suggests. The Vikings beat the Buccaneers, 34 to 17. The Patriots. You know, if anybody thinks that that uh, you know Tom Brady is finished, or or the team isn't going to be good, or or Bill Belichick uh, has softened, forget about it. The Texans have a, a killer defense, and they were winning this game. But the Patriots, behind Tom Brady and some great catches, uh, with under a minute to go, come back and win the game, thirty-six to thirty-three. In, a, wow. in an exciting finish, as much as I hate the Patriots, I had to admit, exciting finish. And talking about another exciting finish, the Giants are 0-3. The Eagles beat okay, them with okay. no time on the clock, 27-24. And the Giants were down 14-0 in this game. And then all of a sudden, Eli Manning and uh, the rest of the receivers woke up, or Eli Manning and his receivers woke up and made a game of it. But at the end, they got the L. Uh, the Saints beat the Panthers 34-13. Titans beat the Seahawks 33-27. In another overtime game, the Packers squeaked by the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals were having their way earlier in this game, uh, but the Packers came on to uh, win uh, in overtime 27-24. Chiefs undefeated 3-0, 24-10 over the Chargers. The Redskins beat the Raiders, which I was surprised at. I mean, the Redskins are a good team, uh, but uh, I think the Raiders are one of the best. 27-10. And the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 shocked me. And I they hope they did. didn't shock themselves 
And they shocked the Dolphins, who I thought was going to slap the Jets into next week. Uh, the Jets won 20-6. to six. And let me tell you something. This guy, McNown, he looks pretty good. I mean, you know, the, the, the no-name receiver core that the Jets have all were making some fantastic catches. This guy was making some great throws. The defense came to play. I mean, I, I don't know if this was just a fluke or if somebody else was dressed as the Jets on Sunday. I don't know, but the Jets looked good. They got me hoping. They got me dreaming. They got me thinking that they could be competitive. So I don't know, man. I, I, I don't want I don't want to, uh, you know, have my bubble bursted. But uh, it was very exciting to watch as a as a Jet fan who I thought the Jets wouldn't even win three games this year. But uh, Monday Night Football, Sal. Cowboys against the Cardinals. They're going to the desert to play the Cardinals. The Cowboys wow. are favored by three points. I'm officially picking the Cowboys minus three. How do you see this game? I see the Cowboys also being dominant. I think they'll win. I think uh, the Cardinals are an underrated team, uh, but uh, the Cowboys got something to prove. They lost last week, uh, so uh, we'll see what happens. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I got a bunch of emails to read, including – a war and peace version from my man Mike from Michigan. So uh, don't go nowhere. We'll be back in about two minutes. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, it's that time again. We are going to be doing uh, some email readings. Well, that didn't sound right, but uh, we got some emails. You ready, Sal? I am ready for you, Bill. All right, we got. Uh, let's see. We got our first one here is from. I got. I got a. I got a real long one from um, our buddy Mike from Michigan, uh, which I haven't read yet. I just see it's very long. So uh, let's get this one out of the way first. This is from Chip, my man Mitch. He says, uh, "My inside. So my inside source tells me uh, the Triple G versus Nello fight might." reach over the two million view mark he says if true i'll bring up three things one the best rivalry over the years has been puerto rico versus mexico so Cotto versus nello did nine hundred thousand. yet triple g was criticized for not being a pay-per-view guy well if they did over two million you can credit uh canelo yes but more must go to the, for the fans that wanted to see if triple g was the real deal I'm giving Triple G more credit for the numbers. And guess what, Billy C? That puts him right up there with Mayweather uh, versus Oscar, Mayweather versus Canelo. So how's that for their asses? He says, number two, Triple G versus Nello came weeks after people forked out 100 bucks for the McGregor thing. It was only a few weeks before Triple G and uh, Canelo. Number three, parts of Texas and a majority of Florida and parts of Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and all of Puerto Rico and outlying areas had little or no power, so they couldn't even buy the fight. That's a great point, too, by the way. Great point. I mean, I just got my power back Saturday, Saturday, so I, I was able to get the fight Saturday night, but 
I didn't have internet or TV or any electricity until Saturday, the day of the fight. How do you like that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, that's wild. But uh, And uh, he says, uh, by the way, Billy, if we hit $2 million, despite these things, this will be huge. And it'll be a uh, post-Mayweather era number. If true, of course, let the post-Mayweather era begin. All the BS started by calling him Little G means nothing. He has to bow down to Triple G now. I hope my source is good, or even $1.3 million is still good. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, hey, listen, nobody, uh, it's going to be quite some time before somebody can generate the numbers that Floyd has with pay-per-view. It, it, it just it is what it is. Just as many people wanted to see Floyd get knocked the F out um, and bought it. And unfortunately, Floyd never engaged with anyone except for his last fight. He engaged with a guy who never fought before, but that's besides the point. Um, my man Mitch says, uh, hey, this whole thing about Daniel Jacobs and uh, HBO and Matchroom and PBC, does this mean Heyman is cutting his roster and PBC is about to end? He says, does this mean that uh, a- a- Heyman is infiltrating HBO and make it a power move by coming back now that top rank is gone? Does this mean a uh, quid pro Q thing between Hearn and Heyman where one guy owed the other a favor? Or Ford, Jacob seems like a decent commentator. Is this HBO bringing him in to eventually replace Roy Jones Jr.? So many interesting questions from my man Mitch. A lot of good Mitch. questions. I mean, uh, I think uh, somebody needs to replace Roy Jones. I think he's terrible. Um, hey, listen, the bottom line is this, Sal. Al Heyman and the misconception about Al Heyman was that he was in boxing for the good of the fighters. That's bullshit. He was in the sport of boxing for the good of Al Heyman. And this just indicates that this is true. The PBC did not, that whole PBC uh, model of, of making money and having the networks pay them, etc. it fizzled, it died, it did not work. So Al Heyman, who still has 300 fighters signed under contract, he wants to keep them busy. People keep forgetting that all the deals and the overpaid checks that, he w- that the fighters were getting, he was getting his cuts, Al. So why wouldn't he direct them to HBO? It doesn't mean that he's not in their pocket. He's going to still make his money, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, there's always these concessions that go on whenever you can leverage yourself and, 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 you know, get a profit. Yeah, I mean, come on. The end of the, at the end of the day, Al Heyman wants to take care of Al Heyman. Anybody that, that really thought that he was all about the fighters is just stupid. It's stupid. Anyway. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's, it's stupid. Um, all right. Here we go, Sal. Get ready. Okay. We got a long I'm ready. We may have okay. to stop periodically. Are we going to have a break a in between? We may have to. I mean, it's a long Okay. Oh, boy. It's from uh, Mike from Michigan. He says, sorry I haven't been as active as much as I should have been, but I agree with Teddy Atlas to a degree. He says, you know what happened Saturday. Triple G, and, you know, he wrote this on Sunday, so he meant last Saturday. Uh, Triple G beat Canel. And by the way, if, if you guys had missed Triple G Canelo, they showed it twice this weekend, this past weekend, once before uh, the Linares fight, and then Sunday morning at 9 a.m., HBO replayed that. Um, anyway, he says Triple G beat Canelo by outworking him, and Canelo faded as he always has and always will do 
even with Mexico's best pharmacies, as said by Eric Morales. Uh, He (laughs) says, anyways, my point is this. The world sucks. I just lost my soul to boxing last Saturday, and however crazy I believe Teddy Atlas to be, I I cannot deny his passion for speaking his mind. As a young man, I remember watching Augustus versus Burton because it was in my home state and my father was still alive, and we were just so happy that Friday night fights existed after USA dropped Tuesday night fights. And I saw Burton get beat from start to finish, and I remember so vividly in my young head, I remember thinking, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't like the taunting and the showboating, but Augustus, one of the most underrated fighters ever on par with my opinion with uh, Andrew Galata in his prime, along with Darnell Boone and Ezra Charles, but Augustus won that fight. Not even a need for a second, uh, not even a need for a scorecard. And I rewatched it 15, laters, uh, uh, 15 years later and again now, and I just have to give credit what credit's due. Teddy Atlas went insane when the scores were read because I was in that arena and my young mind didn't understand what happened. We can make uh, all the jokes about Teddy Atlas, his fireman pep talk. <laughs> yeah, I guess I did get on him a little bad with that. You know what firemen do? You know what firemen do, Teddy? <laughs> Put out fires? <laughs> but, Put uh, out fires. <laughs> anyway, I, I remember when he was doing that, he was doing that to uh, Timothy Bradley, and I was making fun of him. I'm going, firemen, you know what firemen do? You know what firemen do? Put out fires, coach? No. <laughs> they go in there and they fight. Oh, oh okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, he says sometimes and his sometimes insane reactions. But I can only do one thing and give him credit for looking into the camera job on the line and saying people are going to be upset. But frankly, I don't care. As crazy as he is, I believe he's a, a knowledgeable person who to me is the only one who really calls out bad cards, bad decisions and uh, uh, has conviction. They may lead him to an early grave due to his passion and his possessiveness and his assessments of fights. You have to respect a man with enough balls to call it like he sees it. Stand by it and continue to be correct on corruption in boxing. What pisses me off the absolute most is not th- that Triple G lost because I scored the fight three times and twice on mute uh, due to Max Kellerman and Roy Jones just making me sick. Every single word that came out of Teddy's mouth last Saturday evening or Sunday morning I agreed with, with the exception of the scorecard. I had it 116-112 in a competitive match. The sad thing is I feel uh, for Triple G. He takes on Canelo. Uh, who he, he takes on Jacobs, which Canelo never will. Then he takes on Canelo. Don't give me any BS about his resume anymore. I thought he beat Jacobs, but I also believe Jacobs would be a better fighter than Canelo. Triple G showed his A's to me, but you can't score a fight for somebody who fought to survive and got on his bike for three four quarters of the fight. Does it not speak volumes? Uh, Triple G was booed when he walked into the arena. And then Canelo was cheered. Then when the fight happened, scores are read, and the pro-Canelo crowd booed after the fight. That speaks volumes, and life isn't fair, Billy. But I've been uh, laid off and on all year long, struggled to get by, lost a loved one, and it's not fair, but I take it on a chin like a man does, and I force a smile and get to my next contract the next day. I've had a horrible year, but I'm just so mad that Triple G Canelo outcome has changed my perception of this world. No matter how many times you stick to your morals, principles, integrity, in the end, it doesn't matter. And I, for one, know Triple G is slower, less of what he was a couple of years ago. But excuse this 
F. Max Kellerman, Jim Lampley, and Roy Jones Jr. for protecting their investment. And F. Behop and Oscar and Gomez, because Oscar and Behop, especially Behop, all claims all this BS about integrity, and he's and he's gotten none. I have him in my list of greats, but I'm sick of his warped version of his fighter. Billy, I know this is long, but it's been so long since I've read an email, and I really appreciate that you read it. I have so much more to say, but I'll leave you with one last thing. Triple G showed his age and discipline, which is what we all knew Golden Boy was waiting for, but he found a way to win. You know that. Canelo is in his absolute prime, and I don't give a damn what people say that this fight was at middleweight because I'm not blind. I know Lara beat him. Floyd took him to school, but I do believe he barely beat Trout. The knockdown was a deciding factor for me. Golden Boy took Triple G, lowballed him. He took the fight anyways, found a way to win, not to survive, but to win. Canelo can get better with his stamina problems. If he hasn't done that since the start of his career, I don't think it's going to get better. So, of course, after all the BS and all the politics that's went wrong with boxing, Canelo needs time to rest while Triple G wants to fight in December. And if, it's not, if that's not obviously, if that's not obvious, completely obvious to any knowledgeable fan, that boxing fan should really pick a different sport. The challenger... The money guy, Canelo, got his diva demands, got his money, and didn't lose, even though we all know he lost. What did Triple G get? You got, you only, one positive thing I can think of is the reaction to the crowd, and when Triple G spoke, he spoke like a gentleman, and I respect that. Canelo came off as a whiny, diva-ass bitch. I'm sorry, man. I know this is long, but the last thing is I don't care that Andre Ward retired, because I never cared to see him fight anyway. Triple G can sell out an arena pretty much anywhere. Maybe not get the extreme pay-per-view buys, but what he sells out arenas and puts his asses in seats. Andre Ward does none of that and refuses to fight anywhere outside of his local area, and he very much so lost the first Kovalev fight. That's a different topic for a different day, but I saw on YouTube and your shell saying, does anybody care if Andre Ward retired? My answer is no. Hope all is well. Coming after a quick chat last week's fight. He does have another comment, but uh, I will read in a, in a second. But, um, you know, my, my, my quick thought here uh, about Teddy Atlas, Sal, is I, I'm not against Teddy Atlas speaking his mind because I respect that too. My hang-up with Teddy Atlas is that his opinion is right and no one else's is. In other words, if you don't agree with Teddy, you're wrong. And in this sport, you got to be open-minded. I mean, you and I don't agree on everything all the time, but at least we hear each other out. And that's what Teddy does not do. Well, of course. And, you know, we have a difference of opinion. We could debate the issues and talk about it intelligently and make our points. And, you know, that's what gives us the perspective of why we think we, uh, we're right. And, uh, you know, Teddy could at least empathize and try to listen to another view or another opinion. And then take the and process, you know, what he's heard and then come back with an answer. But uh, that's communication. That's all. Um, Mike from Michigan has one, one, one more thing like Colombo would do. Well, uh, he says, I don't hear a lot of people talking about the candor or temperament of the interviews between both fighters. I have much more respect for Triple G due to his humble after fight thoughts when he was somewhat disappointed about the fans not getting a better fight. Canelo to me sounded like a a poor bad sport a character goes a long way and to me i believe the fans in that arena appreciated triple g's comments far more than canelo's comments which were uh, crass cold and it looked to me like everyone sounded like a biatch 
I'd like people to talk about that a little more. Max Kellerman, among everybody else besides Harold Lenneman, were rude and wrong. Kellerman, quote, he seems to want to stay still. When you're talking to Canelo with Max Kellerman uh, uh, with a dumbass smirk on his face, he misunderstood. What Triple G meant was that he wanted a memorable fight where both guys gave, gave a great show. And since Can- Canelo talked all this crap about knocking Triple G out, uh, Triple G felt more power from Brooke and Jacobs, in Mike's opinion, uh, and kept stalking and stalking. He definitely showed his age, but he definitely also showed tremendous chin um, and phenomenal heart and said all the right things after the fight, and Canelo didn't. I just wish people would talk about that a little more. Um, thanks for Good the point. email, and um, please, in the future, don't don't make them as long. But, uh, you know, that that is a, a, a true statement, uh, Sal. And we've watched that fight several times. And, um, you know, Canelo actually thought he won the fight. Um, I can't believe it. You know, uh, why don't fighters just say, and and this was my big hang-up with Manny Pacquiao when he fought Mayweather. I mean, you know, why can't a fighter (laughs) just say, you know, in Manny's case, Manny would have, in my opinion, would have went, would have made him look a lot better if he just said, you know, Floyd was the better man tonight, and give Floyd the credit. Instead, he said, "I I hurt my shoulder, and and I and I couldn't do it. I thought I won the fight with a hurt shoulder." I mean, I you know, why can't they just give credit what credits due, Sal? What's the problem? Well, you know, fighters have big egos, and uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, yeah, they would be better off. Hey, guess what? I did my best tonight, and. Uh, uh, I didn't expect to uh, to find in my opposition that some of the things that that nullified my moving into a direction I felt I won. But uh, you know, hey, we'll we'll live another day and we'll get to fight another day. And I just uh, came up short tonight. And I'm sorry. You know, I disappointed I mean, myself. I let myself down. How's that sound? You know, and, and Canelo. You know, not only did he say he was going to knock out Triple G, but he was saying in press conferences and quotes that we did leading up to the fight. That he says, I'm going for the knockout. I just hope Triple G does his part. It's all about the dance partner. I mean, these were his words. You know, I know uh, they you got to do I this. Know they were. You know, I, we read them. I know. And, and he's saying, you got to have. He's got to dance with me. He's got to do this. He's got to do it. And talk about dancing. He had his dancing shoes on. He was running around that ring like he, he was, was on a. He was backwards. on a tricycle. He was, he was yeah. doing a two-step two Charlie out of the way. But again, the, the bottom line is, if the guy could hit effectively on the move, a la Ali. Not like Huey Fury. Um, he could have won the fight. He could have won the fight. We got one more email. This one's from uh, our buddy Joel. He says, uh, hey, Billy C. and Sal, I was curious of what your guys' thoughts were on Danny Jacobs signing a promotional deal with Eddie Hearn, which led to Jacobs signing a multi-fight deal with HBO. I was confused at first if Heyman was still involved, but as I found out, Heyman is still his advisor. Do you think we will see more high-profile uh, boxers that work with Al Heyman jump from Showtime to HBO or do you think it'll be far and few in between I hope with the extra money HBO now has without top rank on their network they can spend the money and sign select fighters to their network to create some competition again between Showtime and HBO what's your thoughts uh, let, let, let me explain something first first of all the truth of the matter is is that um you know, like I said earlier, H, uh, Al Heyman 
he he's an advisor. He makes money for the best deals that he can get his fighters. So he's going to try to get them the best deals, you would think. Yes, he had a marriage with Showtime, and he was double-dipping and all of that because he's just as much of a crook as anybody else. And as far as HBO having extra money because Top Rank's not with them anymore, what are you talking about? HBO and Showtime and ESPN, they have budgets they put in place before the year starts. And they say, this is how much we're going to spend on boxing. And then the powers that be take that figure and they spread it out over a season. You know, if, if Top Rank signs a deal with ESPN, that doesn't mean that HBO all of a sudden has extra money. They may have extra, they may have more money uh, to work with another promoter because Top Rank is with someone else, if that's what you mean. But it's not like, you know, really, they, I, I personally don't think that the networks care. I think, in a sense, HBO and Showtime are their own promoters. That's the other part of the puzzle that people don't understand. You know, they promote fighters. They sign deals with fighters. Isn't that a promoter? They're getting to promote without a promoter's license. I mean, what do you think, Sal? Well, you just made a good point. Exactly that. They get to promote without a promoter's license. But the bottom line is... These companies, they look to align themselves and do the best they can to, to sign the best fighters that are going to be marketable. They, Like I said a long time ago, these fighters today, as they were yesterday, they're commodities. They sell. They're sizzle. They want to put the fans in the seats. They want to have the, the, the networks uh, come alive when people can view in. So they're going to look to leverage and align themselves with the most popular fighters on, on, on the planet. Al Heyman... You know, the, the big misconception, for, first of all, he made a big mistake with the PBC. He thought that if they bought the time, and that's what they did for that first you, year. You, for, you said this from day one. I, I know. And, and he bought the time. Now, if he bought the time and then was going to build up the fighters and then culminate to a pay-per-view, I think that blueprint would have worked. But that's not what he thought. He thought that he buys the time. He floods the networks with PBC, and then the ratings would be so high that the following year, the networks would be throwing money at him to bring his production. It did not work. And no. all we had to do was look in the history books and see that it never worked that way. The networks don't care. ESPN couldn't wait to get out of Friday Night Fights. They were losing tons of money. You know, now look what they've done. They've taken and signed a deal with with top rank to show some decent fights and they get to spread it out and it doesn't interfere with their other programming. So in a way they, they saved money, but at the end of the day, a lot of misconceptions about Al Heyman and the PBC was, it was all about taking care of the fighters. Oh, look, he signed all these guys. Oh, look, they're making more money. They're fighting weaker fights. Oh, it's great for the fighters. Great, great, great. In a way, you know, if a fighter was going to make 100000 and he signs with Al Heyman, now he's making 500000 Yeah, it's better for the fighter. But how many of those fighters haven't fought in literally a couple of years? There's fighters that just vanished out of, out of discussion, you know, that were up and coming, that signed with Al Heyman. They're, they vanished because he could not possibly keep them all busy. The other thing is, is like I said earlier, Sal, Al Heyman is a businessman. He's not doing this for shits and giggles. He's not doing this to help all the fighters uh, because he's a nice guy. It's not even a racial thing. You know, he's not even just helping all, all his fellow black fighters out. He's signed white fighters and oriental fighters. He's got all kinds of fighters. The bottom line is Al Heyman is a businessman. And every deal that he cuts for these fighters, he's getting a cut of. 
So he's going to get the best possible deal for them, which means the best possible deal for him. It's not rocket science, Sal. No, 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 no. People don't realize that. And, uh, you know, that, that's bringing it to the forefront. This is the business of boxing. And business uh, boxing is a business. And people look to uh, hang on the backs. And, 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 and like I said, fighters are commodities. And how many people can uh, can utilize and, and, and work and maneuver and and live live uh, make a living off a fighter? It 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 goes on and on. Promoters, trainers, cut men, prom- uh, managers. Uh, uh, it, it goes on and on, and each one feeds another group. Advertisers, this, that, everything else. It's it's a whole thing. Boxing is a business. It's no uh, listen. There's no doubt it's a business, but getting back to one of our main topics today, which is the uh, Bado Jack and, and, you know, vacating the WBA belt, this is where, and, and I agree with what you just said, you know, boxing is a business, and at the end of the day, and, you know, contrary to what people might think, I believe that fighters should make the most money they possibly can, all right? Absolutely. I believe that, I agree. that a fighter is not at fault for trying to make the most money that they possibly can. But where I have a, a different opinion of other fighters' cho- path choices is I believe that boxing, the nature of this sport, and the history of this sport, I believe that the only way to rise to the top and to prove that not only are you the best in your weight division during your era, but if you're that good that you want to be considered as an all-time great, you got to do great things like the all-time great fighters do. And that starts right off the bat with fighting the best available fighters of your time in your division. And Bado Jack, a guy who I'm a huge fan of, a guy that the reason why I like him so much is because he was written off. I wrote him off myself. And this was a guy that was coddled. He was brought up to a a fight, to an opportunity. It was supposed to be a showcase fight. And two seconds, you know, a couple of minutes into the fight, he's on his back, knocked out cold. And everybody, including myself, thought that was the end of Bedo Jack. Instead, he goes back to the drawing board, and he's gotten better and better and better every fight out. And it culminated with him winning a world title less than a month ago against Nathan Cleverly. Now, this belt, which he got an opportunity to fight for from the WBA, he's kicking to the curb because he wants an easier fight for another belt rather than fight his mandatory, which is Dimitri Bivol, who many regard as one of the top light heavyweights in the world. And more likely than not, it looks like uh, uh, Bedo Jack might challenge uh, Adonis Stevenson for his WBC belt which is not a challenge. Adonis Stevenson is, is done. This was a guy that's been avoiding every top fighter for years now. I even forgot, Sal, when we were talking last week about the light heavyweight division, we mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, every name but uh, Adonis Stevenson. Adonis Stevenson. And that's because that. the guy has been irrelevant. It's not even in the discussion anymore. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, it bothers me that Jack is doing taking this choice because he had built up so much and had done it the right way that you know he could have been a household name he could have been a a superstar and then yet by him kicking 
the and and I'm not even listen. I'm not even putting in in perspective why I mean if I feel one belt is worth more than the other. I'm not even I'm not even saying that cuz you know that I don't value the WBA belt at, at all. But just the nature of him you know, wanting to sidestep Bivol, it it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth, Sal. Well, I know, and uh, it, it is what it is, and you you know called it out, and uh, you know I agree with you. It's a it's a tough one to swallow. You know, give up one belt for another, it uh, it doesn't make sense. But the but the point is, is don't you agree that to be the best, you got to fight the best. We've said that throughout the show all the time, Bill. You know, these fighters got to challenge themselves, and and that's the difference. We, you know, we want to look at who could we fight to prove that we are the best. And if there's someone out there that uh, that uh, is touting that he's the best, or he's ranked, or he's this that higher than uh, myself or another fighter, yeah, you want to go and you want to challenge and you want to make sure that you remove that question or doubt from anybody's mind that hey i'm here to fight i'm here to beat you i think the sad part here in my opinion is that Bado jack is following the advice of floyd mayweather and you think so i know i listen floyd mayweather is sitting there telling him hey you know uh, look at all the money i've made for for cherry picking and picking the right opponents at the right time you do the same and you know i you it you know it goes back to what i said I have this feeling that Floyd Mayweather, even though he's retired, and even though he's got nothing left to prove, that he doesn't want to share the limelight with anybody, whether he's active or not. And any time one of his fighters start to rise and get more recognition, uh, they do something like this. I got to take a break, Sal. When we come back, we're going to have uh, Dax Khan join us and get his thoughts on a bunch of stuff. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. We'll be right back. Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Uh, glad you could be with us today. And speaking of being with us, uh, joining us right now with his thoughts on the fights from the weekend and some of the news we've been talking about is uh, Dax Khan. And now we got his video. What's up, Dax? What's going on? Got you it. You finally got it, huh? Oh, oh. I, was, tell me, Sal was helping you with the technical issues because he's such a. I was. That's that. that's a whole other story, yeah, yeah, Bill. Yeah, Forget I, about it. I know. I'm trying. I to. saw this button. I saw that button. I said, "Let me hit this." Don't hit touch that. any buttons. He should sit with his on his hands. But uh, Dax, first and foremost, well, what, what happened is I, I I have a hard time working this. Like Bill has a hard time pronouncing names. This is true. But listen, um, <laughs> let's start off with uh, let's start off with the fights first because I know we got a lot to talk about. The fights, I, dude, I thought that this weekend's fights, with the exception of uh, Joseph Parker, were all excellent fights. Starting off with the Friday night fights, um, uh, Valdez uh, winning, uh, keep retaining his WBO featherweight title against uh, um, the uh, the Cervania guy, uh, Genesis, uh, Genesis Cervania. I loved the fight. 
Um, I think it showed some chinks in the armor of Valdez. I, 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 I want to see more of, of Cervania, but what was your thoughts in that fight? Absolutely. You know, people came out and they expected Valdez just to blow Cervania away. But, you know, we'll get into this in a few minutes. We're seeing a lot of changes in the sport. Cervania is a perfect example, just like uh, Rung Cervisi was with Roman Gonzalez. We're not understanding, or the majority of the fans aren't understanding that there are quality fighters from everywhere, and this is what happens, and this is what fighters should be taught when they're young. Never underestimate any opponent. The UK is a great example. These guys with 10, 20 losses, they must be horrible fighters, but they've been knocked out once. There's a guy over there who has 60 losses. He was knocked out one time. Obviously, this guy can fight. He's what you call a paid opponent. You always re reference them. Same thing with Sylvania. He's a guy that had no recognition. He came over. Valdez sort of was going be an easy time but if you notice like with Cervania just like Sir Rung Visai if you look at the legs on those guys they have these big thick legs so they can take a punch and you know Valdez he thought he was going to go out there blow this guy away he was very reckless he obviously needs a lot of work with his uh, defensive skills and Cervania capitalized on it so I would like to see Cervania again I'd like to see Valdez improve uh, those chinks in his defensiveness and I think uh, you know he's going to be a top name but right now you know, he's a guy who I think um, kind of got his title a little bit too soon, as you allude to about a lot of guys of this era. You know, the one thing I just want to mention about Cervania, um, you know, the, the thing the thing that was strange about him when I was breaking down the fight, I, I had only seen a, a couple of clips of him, and this level of opposition by record on paper looked good. They looked tough. The problem was I just had never heard of any of the guys because he fought, fought most of his fights over in the Philippines. You know, I guess that's hard to prepare for, but still, I don't know if I took it that Valdez took it lightly. I just think that he was going in in front of his hometown. He wanted to go for a knockout, and he was in there with a dance partner that was just a little too good. I mean, uh, and like you said, I mean, he definitely has to go back and uh, work on his defense. Uh, I would definitely do that. You can't have a young guy like that take as many shots as he took. He took some solid shots. And that's not a wise decision, Bill. If you've got a young fighter like that in front of his home crowd with all that pressure, um, if you listen to the, uh, the crowd in attendance, you know, everything that Valdez did from the ring walk on, they went crazy over. So that's a lot of pressure for a young fighter, especially when they're going in there against an opponent they really know nothing about. Um, again, you know, I was... I was surprised, and I'm still surprised that nobody really knew, and and a lot of people still don't even know that I speak to exactly where this whole title situation went with um, Sorung Visai and Roman Gonzalez and Carlos Kudras. You know something that was Sorung Visai's belt, then Kudras got it, then uh, Gonzalez took from Kudras, and then Sorung Visi got it back. But you know what? These people act like they have no idea who uh, Sorong Visay is. You know what? If you followed the sport as much as you claim to, you'd realize that this belt has been going around with these three elite fighters. But obviously, you're not following the sport very well, or else you wouldn't know this. Same thing with a lot of these promoters, it seems like, when they're setting up these fights for their fighters. The co-main event on Friday, Dax, was equally exciting. And I, I, I got to give Jesse Hart a lot of credit because I wasn't thinking that he was going to do that well. He's been coddled... Uh, pretty pretty obviously uh throughout his career but man did he put on a show and no pun intended displayed a lot of heart in his fight with Ramirez I actually thought the fight was a little closer than the scorecards I think we saw uh, uh, the same thing with Ramirez he, he demonstrated that um you know maybe his defensive skill isn't that great 
uh, once he couldn't get the knockout in the middle to late rounds. It seemed like he ran out of gas, and he himself was rocked a few times in that fight. What was your thoughts on that one? Me and you had spoke about uh, Ramirez a few times, and I said, you know what? He's not the same fighter he was before he won that belt from Arthur Abraham. You know, against Abraham, he fought a smart fight. You had to say to yourself, okay, um, he did the right thing fighting a, an established veteran that we know is tough. But, you know, when he uh, defended that belt against Bursak, he seemed content just to go in there through the motions. And it was also the same thing against Jesse Hart. Once he scored that knockdown, I think, you know, in his mind, he figured it was over and he didn't expect Hart to bounce back like that. And as the fight wore on, he got a little bit discouraged. And uh, later on, he got a little bit tired. You notice he was leaning in with his head. He had his hands down low. Jesse Hart showed he's tough. And he showed um, a lot of, you know, he's not actually the most technically sound guy, but, you know, sometimes that toughness can get you to a lot of places. And I think if that fight would have went around the two more, he'd actually be uh, Gilberto Ramirez and would have stopped him because by that 11th round, Ramirez just had a look on his face like, you know what, I wish it would be over already. He did. He did. He did have that look. Uh, all three of us uh, loved the World Boxing Super Series. And uh, this past weekend didn't let us down. Junior Dorticos took care of Kutuzov in two rounds. What's your thoughts on that one, Dax? Well, you know something? That World Boxing Super Series is something special. You know, I've, I've been saying this, you know, for a while. You know, uh, just the atmosphere there, you know, the way they had it set up. Uh, Jimmy Lennon being the ring announcer and not Michael Buffer. And that's nothing against Michael Buffer. But Michael Buffer is a guy that, you know, you like to bring in there. And when a card's not going well or people don't really seem that enthused for the main event because of such a poor undercard, Buffer's the guy that gets everybody's adrenaline flowing again. Uh, when Jimmy, Jimmy Lennon, you know, he has a way of making no matter what event it is, makes it seem like it's the biggest, most important event in boxing at that moment. I don't care if it's two pro debut guys. It's just something about his voice. Uh, the broadcast team was excellent. B.J. Flores, you know, he was icing on the cake because he was non-biased he gave educated opinions um the way that uh, in between rounds uh, that they uh, would break down the fights. They didn't concentrate on one guy or the other. They uh, made sure they focused on both guys' successes and weaknesses. B.J. Flores, you know, kind of gave an input on where each guy's uh, head was, not just uh, in the main event, which was very short, but throughout the whole card. Um, Dor Dortikos versus uh, Kudoshov, you know, as they come down to the ring, you know, the, the lighting, um, you know, the atmosphere, everybody you knew there was going to be a knockout. He was just like, I don't want to blink because when's this knockout going to happen? Uh, the first round was very tactical. You could see neither guy wanted to make a mistake. Uh, Kudashov had those, um, every punch was with bad intentions. He had a high guard. Um, Dortikos kind of felt him out, but then, you know, in that second round, Dortikos took advantage of his uh, punching, of his superior speed along with that punching power, and that well-placed right hand, the second that Kudashov went down, you knew it was over. It's not like one of those overly dramatic knockouts that people go, oh my gosh, because the guy flies back and through the ropes. It's like he literally just folded and collapsed. You know, when, when a guy does that where he just drops like, you know, he came from the ceiling, you know it's over and it was exciting. So, you know what, right now that fight and that card really uh, just built up the anticipation for what's coming next. You know, I really can't wait until next week, uh, the fight between Bradis and Perez in Lithuania. And I really can't wait until October 21st when I'm going to be in New Jersey at the Prudential Center to see uh, Mira Gassiev against uh, Christoph Lozarek. So, you know what? This is something special. It's super. And you know what? It's an, Again, it's another hint of what's going on in this sport. One, uh, the Jorge Linares fight um, I thought was extremely entertaining. Uh, Luke Campbell, I, I, I thought, might have squeaked out that fight. Uh, towards the end, he seemed to be landing the more meaningful punches, worked the body well. 
But Linares looked so good in the first half of the fight. Did he look that good that that carried him through the win? I mean, or did you think he won that fight? I mean, what was your thoughts? Linares is a great fighter. He always has been. I remember Linares against Antonio DeMarco, the first fight. And I remember Manuel Stewart was one of the broadcast members. And Manuel Stewart was excited talking about the skill set. I, mean, I think this guy might be the pound-for-pound best fighter in boxing. And you know what? Linares looked like it at that moment but as i alluded to on friday and linares has this habit of losing focus and he did that in both of his losses against antonio demarco he seems to dominate so so much that he feels he can cruise and when he does this he becomes defensively lacked and that's what happened here but again luke campbell is a guy that you have to remember he's a former olympic gold medalist he was no uh, you know, he was no showcase opponent. He's big. He's tall. He's very uh, fundamentally sound. That knockout, that knockdown, rather, in the second round, he wasn't hurt. Um, if you watch the fight again, you see he was already in the motion of moving backwards. Their feet kind of got tangled. He got up, and, you know, he because of that amateur experience, he was able to remain composed. And, you know, that size, he's a big lightweight. The kid has a bright future. I don't think he's going to be able to remain in that lightweight division for very long because of the fact that you know he, he's young and he had a hard time making weight and the thing that you notice about Linares and Campbell is that they both have Cuban trainers and they both incorporate a little bit of the traditional style with that Cuban style which makes it even more exciting uh, Jorge Linares I do think that because of that early domination built up a lead but uh, you know Again, that's a fight that, you know, if uh, later on or some, during some of those uh, moments when he had that lull, if uh, Luke Campbell would have scored a knockdown, uh, you know, I might have given that fight to Campbell. Yeah, I thought it was real close. All right, now uh, we've talked, uh, Sal and I have talked extensively about the Bedeau Jack uh, vacating the belt, uh, seemingly to uh, avoid fighting Dimitri Bivol. Uh, he was... Uh, uh, advised by his promoter, Mayweather Promotions, to do this. I hate this, Dax. Um, you know, you know uh, how I feel about Jack. I, you know, I, it's been a roller coaster for me. I thought he was overrated. You got to see him get knocked out. He knocked your drink over practically, um, and uh, he has done nothing but come back and look better and better and better. And in my opinion, he's in the top three light heavyweights in the world today as as the division stands and the one guy i wanted to see him fight was dimitri bivel and now his mandatory he's walking away from that fight and it looks like he's going to go after stevenson uh what's your thoughts on that whole move you know it's a tactical move and it's sort of a move of necessity when you look at the landscape of boxing right now adonis stevenson is 40 years old he hasn't fought a quality opponent in a very long time he's ripe to lose he is, you know, whether or not it's his, his uh, talent level or just age, he's right to lose. And what do we need? We need another PBC or, or a Floyd Mayweather fighter to fill in his spot. And Badu Jack fits that role. And Badu Jack, in my opinion, will be somebody who actually goes out there and defends the title. The WBA belt really, um, you know, winning it. He won it in sensational fashion uh, against uh, Nathan Cleverly, who's, you know, a B-level type champion. You know, it's the best way that I would put it. So in, in terms of uh, um, his career and money-wise, you know, it was a smart move for him if that fight happens. But in terms of just vacating it quickly like that uh, without any um, explanation behind it, you know, I, I don't know. I, re I really don't know what to say, whether it's bad management. But, you know, again, I do think a lot of Badu Jack. And so I don't think Badu Jack is ducking anybody. I think this was more of a, uh, a career decision, a financial decision, rather than him ducking a uh, Bivol. 
Sal, you've heard us talk about this for a while. Um, what do you What do you think? I mean, has has your outlook changed at all on on the Bedo Jackson? No, choice? I mean, it is, it's like we said, if it quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, duck. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a chicken. It is what it is. You mean if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and swims like a duck, it's a chicken? It's a chicken. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Dax. Um, also, uh, the signing of Daniel Jacobs. Uh, at first, they were talking about him coming back November fourth. Now it looks like it's the eleventh, which makes much more sense. Good. I can't see them trying to compete with Deontay Wilder against Luis Ortiz. He was supposed to fight on that undercard. Now it seems like uh, HBO is rebranding Daniel Jacobs. I like Daniel Jacobs. He showed us a lot. His value seemingly has skyrocketed after his fight with Triple G. What's your thoughts on the uh, announcement of the deal with HBO and his signing with Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Sports uh, and the fact that uh, Al Heyman is still in the picture, at least for a few more fights? Well, he does have a few more fights to uh, fulfill with Al Heyman on his contract. He has to do it. But um, as far as uh, the, uh, the Wilder undercard you know, uh, I think, you know, it's it's a wise choice now because he's going to be the headliner down at the Nassau Coliseum. And I believe that uh, Jarrell Big Baby Miller is going to be on the undercard. Uh, Daniel Jacobs, you know, he's a guy that, you know, kind of got tired of that PBC curse. You know, a lot of people, because of that KO loss of Daniel Jacobs and because of the quality of opposition they were putting him in against, you know, he wasn't getting the respect he deserved. Going into the Triple G fight, he had 12 straight knockout wins by, you know, some quality fighters in that division, at least the best that Al Heyman was willing to get him. But even the domination over Peter Quillen got him no respect. Why? Because Peter Quillen, again, was a guy whose um, most viable opponent was Andy Lee, where it was a draw. So, you know, nobody had too much stock in Peter Quillen. And because of how easily Daniel Jacobs beat him, just kind of, you know, put uh, the exclamation mark of, you know, Peter Quillen was a manufactured champion. Now, the Kennedy-Golovkin fight, even though I'm not for that weight hydration, he did it smart. And he showed not only um, is he strong, but he's also a guy who has a good chin. And he's also an elite caliber fighter. Daniel Jacobs is the one that contacted Matchroom Boxing. They didn't come seeking him. Um, also, you know, Daniel Jacobs right now with the exit of Andre Ward out of HBO, HBO is looking for a guy to brand. Like you said, Andre Ward is a good ambassador for the sport. He's always humble. He's a, a solid fighter. He's a better than solid. You know, he's a pound for pound fighter and he's very marketable. He's the, uh, he's the anti-error, uh, more or less, you know, he, he's the guy that's totally opposite of uh, what we're seeing of a lot of the big stars. Daniel Jacobs fits that bill. He's a nice, humble guy. He's well-spoken. He goes out there, he puts on a solid performance, and he's exactly the type of guy that HBO can use to fill in that Andre Ward spot and turn him into a superstar. Now over with Matchroom Boxing, as I keep saying on this show, and I've alluded to for weeks, weeks, and weeks, Bill and Sal, I keep saying, what do we see going on in this sport here? Daniel Jacobs sees what's going on. He knows what he wants to do for the betterment of his career. So in my opinion, good for Daniel Jacobs, because if he stayed here, he wasn't going to get any of these big fights. Go over there, fans... British fans are already sitting there saying they're calling for the head of Billy Joe Saunders and they want Daniel Jacobs to be the guy that takes it. So you know what? Daniel Jacobs, not only can he be HBO's filling guy as this, uh, the fighter that they're pushing, but Daniel Jacobs can also become a megastar over in the UK. We've seen guys in the past do it. That's how Steve Cunningham, at a time when the cruiserweight division, received no recognition in the United States. That's where Steve Cunningham built his career, except now with more of the pay-per-view, more of the interaction, and more of the uh, online streams, Daniel Jacobs is able to incorporate himself 
overseas and bring that fan base that he has already over here. It was a smart move on his behalf, and I really think Daniel Jacobs is going to bring his career to a next level, and I'm happy for Daniel Jacobs because you know what? The guy deserves it. I got one Good quick point. I got one last question for you, Dax, and I want to get Sal's opinion too, jumping back to uh, the light heavyweight division. Uh, you, you mentioned the retirement of Andre Ward and, and possibly Daniel Jacobs moving into that slot. He does do a good job uh, as a commentator. We had an email that mentioned that Roy Jones Jr.'s days might be numbered, and I certainly hope so. I mean, I would love nothing more than to get a whole new HBO broadcast team as well as a Showtime broadcast team. And while we're at it, might as well get rid of everybody at ESPN, too. But um, my question is, a fight like, um, you know, light heavyweight, uh, Bivol, if, if you start looking at these guys, Bivol and, and Badeau Jack and Stevenson and uh, you know, a couple of the other young fighters, could you see, and, and I'll start with you first, uh, Sal, could you guys see um, Andre Ward being coaxed to come out of retirement to fight one of these guys if they become, you know, the established, and even the return of Kovalev, the established uh, king of the light heavyweight division? I mean, do you see him coming back? I, I was saying last week that I, I didn't think we saw the last of him, that he will come out of retirement. Do you think he will, or do you think he's going to stay retired? What do you think first, Sal? Well, if you look at the underlying issue here and what he was proclaiming, and you think it's to be true, that he just no longer has the heart desire to put his body through the demands of training and the mental toughness and focus and everything else, and that he is married, he has children, he wants to get on with his life. If you look at all the aspects of why he may truly be retiring, and if you believe him, predicate on those issues no i don't think you can lure him out but if it's part of the ploy to get some uh demand to future big gates which i don't think he needs because he's still active he could still fight he could still make uh some title defense against uh uh formal opponents uh uh they won't touch him they won't beat him but uh you know he'll make a living the bottom line is i i don't think if he's really retiring for the reasons he proclaims nobody's going to get him out of retirement for those reasons number one because now it'll be stamped and and said on paper that he no longer has the heart and desire to put his body through what he's coming through and you know what was he going to come up and all of a sudden say hey i'm going to give my best i'm really ready i just need a break i need a rest i don't think so i don't think he's that kind of guy he kept a low profile profile throughout his career so i don't think you're going to see much of the antics and things that normally other fighters will do so, I don't know. What's your opinion? Well, my opinion, I'll wait to hear Dax's first. Dax, what do you okay. think? Well, I, I agree partially with Sal. Andre Ward doesn't seem like that type of guy. But also, on the other hand, he is a fighter. We know and history has proven the fighters get the itch. Andre Ward isn't past it. Um, you know, it's not like he's retiring because his uh, body is physically declining. Uh, yes, he lost that desire. But, it, you know, again, you know, when fighters at that level, all of a sudden they get that itch, they want to come back. I have one more big fight in me. But, you know, again, Andre Ward, I would think the money would have actually have to be right for him to come back, not just to come back for a, a fight of an average purse that, you know, he's used to getting. It would have to be something really big. And um, I don't really know if Andre Ward, you know, wants to do that. He has other avenues inside his uh, career that he can do. I believe he's still going to have an announcing uh, gig. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where time is just going to tell. So, But 
Andre Ward, at first I thought, you know, this might be a ploy to see how many people want him to come back. You know, right now, you know, I'm really not sure. You know, um, if he does ride off into the sunset, leaves it where he is, good for him. He retired undefeated. And uh, what he did was he retired undefeated and he fought nothing but the best throughout his career. It would not be nothing but a shame if he returned to fight guys at a lower level. Well, you know, I mean, in a perfect world, we would hope that all of that is true. I personally think he will come out of retirement. I think it is a ploy. I think it might backfire for him because he never was a draw. Um, and I also agree with you, Dax. He, he definitely fought the toughest guys available to him in, uh, in both, well, most of the toughest guys available to him in the light heavyweight division and definitely all the toughest guys available in the super middleweight division. I think that he uh, uh, is waiting for, to be begged and coaxed and thrown a, a big payday at him. I, I just don't think that it's going to happen. I, I, I think he's going to come out of retirement, but not because they're throwing so, so much money at him. Everybody is going to have such a huge demand to see him. I think what's going to coax him out is the accolades some other fighter will be receiving uh, as the best light heavyweight. Maybe Dimitri Bivol, maybe Jack. who knows. Uh, but uh, but I don't see him staying retired. I, I just think that uh, he wanted to get out of his contract with, with Rock Nation. Uh, he didn't want to have any strings to anybody for some reason ever since he broke free uh, of his last uh, uh, contract prior to Rock Nation that you know he felt that he could call all the shots and make all the moves, and it, it didn't really work out that well for him. I don't want to see another Kovalev fight, that's for sure. But, uh, oh, no. Forget about no, it. No, but, uh, <laughs> no none of yeah, us do. The, the, the hey, Joseph Parker-Huey Fury fight was, you know, that was, one of the, that was the only dreadful fight of the weekend, no? Yes, and uh, it, what's even worse is that they tried to compare uh, Huey Fury to Muhammad Ali. It's just <laughs> oh. sickening. Um, that well, guy he, had no business. No, Huey Fury had no business fighting for a world title, and quite honestly, neither did Joseph Parker. Uh, it it kind of it kind of puts an asterisk next to the heavyweight division, and all of the accolades that I had been given the WBO because everybody never gave the WBO the credit it deserved, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years back, they had some the best champions, and now they yeah. seem to be reverting back to you know wannabe guys and joseph parker no disrespect to parker he's one of those guys and for him to say that he's got the tools and he knows the secrets to beat aj come on aj will destroy him and the only fight that that uh, is is in demand right now in the heavyweight division is to see the winner of aj and pulov against the winner of uh, deontay wilder and ortiz that's the next fight that we're going to see uh, in early 2018 to keep the ball rolling. That's my thoughts. I think Joseph Parker, we got overexcited. I think what um, a lot of fans, including myself, thought is we were going to get a bigger, younger, improved version of David Tua. Unfortunately, that's just not it. You know, if Joseph Parker was um, a pressure fighter, if he had the punch of a David Tua, he was uh, as fast as David Tua, he had the chin of a David Tua, you know what? You might have the best heavyweight in boxing, period. Uh, Huey Fury tried to go out there with that uh, Tyson Fury style that Tyson used against uh, Vladimir Klitschko, except, you know, Vladimir Klitschko, even at that stage, had the power to knock you out with one punch. Joseph Parker, not so much. 
Oh, uh, you know, I was almost like Nostradamus this weekend, literally on, on social media. I had texted on, uh, I had uh, posted on uh, early Friday morning. I said, there's some big changes coming in boxing. Changes are happening. They're right in front of fans' faces. And unless you are hand-fed and believe everything what is told to you by the media outlets and the PR, you know, you, you should be able to see these changes clear as sky on a summer day. Now, there was a keyword and a hint inside of there that people should understand. You know, and I've been, again, talking here about, you know, how the fighters, uh, example, uh, the two, uh, you had Luke Campbell against Jorge Linares, guys who were based usually over in Japan or in the United States here on TV. You got the World Boxing Super Series. You have the Daniel Jacobs uh, signing with Matchroom. And then now, you know, Carl Frampton is going over. He's going to be with Frank Warren. Do people not see what's going on here? If you can't see what's going on here, clearly, this is not the sport for you. Either that or I can sell you a bridge. You don't need media. You don't need anybody else to tell you what's going on here. And by the end of 2018, all these big promoters, as I said here last week, uh, Bill and Sal, all these big U.S. promoters, they are going to be the guys that are, uh, especially with uh, the PBC going out of business, a lot of these guys, these big names, like uh, not big name, but guys like the Bella, where are they going to go? Because they're not going to have anybody to attach their names to. And it's going to be nothing but the U.K. promoters that are going to be running this sport completely and all these u.s promoters here they're going to rely on the uk and everything is going to be reversed the uk is going to be the biggest thing in boxing they're going to be all over the world and the united states is going to be the euro bump version of this era listen i i i we gotta i gotta take a break but let me just comment you know I, i've been saying that uk has been carrying boxing on their back for years and to suggest that the promoters out of the uk are going to run boxing that is 100 percent correct and the reason is because they built their promotional companies based on they built a good foundation for their promotional companies they built them from the ground up these guys in the u.s with the exception of top rank and golden boy who have been around so long you know the lou DeBellas who also been around uh, so long these guys have all jumped into bed and followed the dollar bills that's it that's all they care about they have no foundation and as soon as the money leaves they will leave and and people forget Lou DiBello used to be the guy for HBO used to be the guy for HBO to get all the boxing and then he started with his, with his own promotional stuff so I mean I agree with you 100% listen guys Dax I appreciate your uh, comments we're going to take a short break when we come back we got some uh, more news to talk about and uh and then some so uh don't go nowhere uh we'll be back uh uh you know we're, we're, we're gonna be back in two maybe billy c will be right back part of the billy c boxing network check out billycboxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache oh that hurts why are you doing that to my face i hate you i hate you that's billycboxing.com Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And, uh, you know, Sal, I, I get criticized a lot about no you know yeah 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 i get criticized a lot about the simple fact that i'm not a fan of floyd mayweather and the truth of the matter is is i'm not a fan of floyd mayweather because i don't like the person uh that slaps around women and you know all that stuff and his style of fighting 
never interested me. I don't like guys that run. But I've never, ever thought of him as being a guy who didn't prepare 100% for fights because he certainly has, a guy that maintained his, his being in shape, a guy that thought things through 100%, and he's definitely an all-time great, not the best. Uh, he's in my top 25 as of now. That will probably change over time. And he's definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. So with all that said, the one thing I am going to say is that it seems that when Floyd Mayweather puts his hand on things, that they don't seem to, unless it's for himself, they don't seem to work out. A great example of that was Adrian Broner. Uh, another move that's fresh in the news is uh, this whole thing with Bedo Jack. But something that just came over uh, the news that uh, we were just informed and we will talk about on tomorrow's show once I get all the facts. Apparently, uh, it's alleged that Javonta Tank Davis... The guy who Floyd Mayweather has taken under his wing, who won a title, and then the first defense against a layup opponent comes in overweight and loses his title on the scale, apparently has been arrested for uh, assault. I don't know any other uh, specifics about the case, except that they're holding him on $100,000 bail which means that's pretty pretty uh, major. Um, without us really knowing all the details, Sal, and we'll obviously talk about this on tomorrow's show, what's your initial thoughts hearing that this kid is in trouble when, let's be real, Javante Davis has shown nothing but, but great, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, potential. I mean, this is a guy that... I mean, he, the skill set that he shows right now, all I kept thinking and, and how young he is, all I kept thinking was, man, we're going to see some great stuff out of this guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's he becomes Floyd's guy. He loses his title on the scale. He gets arrested. I mean, is there any connection? You know, that's a big question here. You know, the the environment itself of boxing usually does keep people off the streets it, it, it's a venue that some troublesome people have chosen uh, all walks of life have chosen to uh, box and and see how good they can be and how good they can evolve to be and you know things but you know Javante Davis I was a big fan of I thought he had a lot of the great tools that would propel him to stardom and uh you know, he talked a good game. He seemed humble. He seemed like he was coming up. And, yeah, you know, the first thing was a guy can't make weight. Uh, for whatever reason, he, he uh, decided to, to to not make the scale go in his favor. You know, it, it, it shows something there other than just the discipline and just what we like to see from fighters that are paid a lot of money and uh, to do what they got to do. The top fighters, the top fighters. There are those that struggle to be where these top fighters are. Some of them make it, some of them don't. But the bottom line is, yeah, I'm a little disappointed in Javonta Davis. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know he'd follow this route. Uh, although the last uh, fight, when he didn't make the weight, and he also touted and looked a little cocky in the ring with his opponent. Uh, you know, I, I, I lost some respect for him. And uh, if this is going to be the way he goes, this route he goes, his career is going to be a lot shorter than what uh, – than what we first anticipated, first saw from this rising star. And is there a connection with uh, Floyd Mayweather? 
I hate to think so. I, I, I really don't. I mean, I think it's just uh, who they surround themselves with. Who are their people that hang around and, and pat them on the back and tell them what they want to hear and what path they want to be brought down or, or, or follow themselves going down. I don't think it's Floyd Mayweather's fault. Uh, I think everybody has uh, their own accountability and their own way to look in the mirror and say, hey, this is me, this is what I'm going to do. So I can't blame Floyd Mayweather for this. Well, you know, the, the thing is we'll have all the facts tomorrow on tomorrow's show. Floyd, um, you know, and one thing I want to just say in defense of Floyd, Javante Davis has had had problems before hooking up with Floyd. But a guy like Floyd Mayweather and with the juice that Floyd has and with the fact that a young fighter like Javante Davis and even Jack and any other fighter that would be fighting under Floyd's uh, banner should look up to Floyd. And Floyd, you know, I hate to use this word, but Floyd kind of owes it to them to keep them straight. You know, um, you know, I, they're not going to be Floyd. There's, there's not going to be another Floyd Mayweather from a historical perspective. You know, so Floyd should look out for them. Floyd should direct them. Now, if Floyd tries to direct them and they don't listen, I'll be the first to, to defend Floyd. But, you know, if he's just throwing money around and, and you know, painting a different picture, you know, I, I don't know. All I know is Javante Davis loses his title on the scale. Uh, he's out of shape in that fight, huffing and puffing. He wins the fight, doesn't have a title. Now he's arrested. Um, I don't know. It's not looking good. Anyway, it's not good. Not no. a good path. And, no. uh, you know, hopefully he can catch himself and bring himself back up. But, uh, you know, it's it, it could be that slippery slope we often see go down. This is true. On this day, September 25th in uh, 1939, Billy Kahn wins a 15 round decision of a Molino Bettina to retain the world light heavyweight title. It took place in took place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This was the rematch from two months earlier. Uh, which took place on July 13th in 1939 when Khan took the uh, belt from Bettina uh, at Madison Square Garden in New York City. On this day in 1893, George, uh, George Little Chocolate Dixon knocks out Soli Smith <coughs> excuse me, in the seventh round of a scheduled fight to the finish. And in case you guys don't know what that is, normally they had these f fights uh, to the finish, meaning somebody had to win by knockout. Uh, to retain his world featherweight title took place in Brooklyn. On this day in 1896, the same George uh, Little Chocolate Dixon retains his world featherweight title by fighting Tommy White to a 20-round draw at the Broadway Athletic Club in New York City, that fight not being scheduled for a fight to the finish. And finally, on this day, September 25th in 1962, one of my favorite all-time fighters, Sonny Liston, knocks out Floyd Patterson in the first round. To win the world heavyweight title took place in Chicago on this day in 1962. Hey, man, wow. that concludes our show for today. Uh, don't forget, if you take the time to drop me an email, we'll take the time to read it. Just email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da na 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 na